Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood here, and it's story time. Story Saturday, recorded on a Wednesday. Because I'm camping this weekend with my boys, we're having fun, and I don't have time to talk to you people, so I'm doing it early. Yeah. So we'll keep this brief. Story Saturday, so we're reading from Stories from the Great Challenge. This is story number 39, I believe. Yes, 39. It is a fantasy story called Revelator. And it's a fun story that I like and you will like. Why do you like it? Because I wrote it and I read it. And therefore, it's awesome. So sit back, hang out, have fun. I'm going to tell you a story. I'll touch you on the backside. Enjoy. Barnum licked his lips and bent forward. Squinting in the darkness, he could just make out the lock at the bottom of the window in front of him. It looked simple, an easy pick that should just take a minute or two. Too simple. He turned his head to the right, where Luca squatted next to him on the slate tiles of the Museum of History's rooftop. Half a hand taller than Barnum and five years older, Luca's dark brown hair normally danced just above his eyes. But tonight he had his hair pulled back beneath a black skullcap and mask that revealed everything but his eyes and lips. Like Barnum's, his clothing was black and fitted for ease of movement. He had a rope coiled around his chest, and his belt held pouches of various tools and components. Luca's eyes met Barnum's, and Barnum could see the question there. What was he waiting for? You sure there's nothing? A slight eye roll betrayed Luca's annoyance, despite the calmness of his reply. I checked twice. No enchantments or wardings. It's clean. Which didn't make Barnum feel any better. He glanced away from his partner toward the roof's edge, just a couple of feet behind them and below the window. From there, it was a 30-foot drop to the cobblestone of the museum's rear courtyard. He'd heard of security enchantments that would hurl a would-be burglar backwards just so he could make such a fall. And the museum was home to some of the Crown's greatest historical treasures. Surely they'd put the highest of security enhancements in place. He knew for a fact they had... He and Luca had cased the place thoroughly over the last two weeks, noting the locations of every item on exhibit, every locked door, every security enchantment, every physical alarm, everything and anything that could make this night's job go wrong. But they hadn't made it up here before, both because it was a very difficult climb and for the fear of somehow alerting the security staff during an exploratory probe. They had decided to rely on Luca's own skill at enchantments to find any dangers. But now, finding nothing, and with summer's nighttime wind beginning to pick up, its whistle combining with the scent of salt and rot from the city's waterfront a quarter of a mile away, Barnum wondered how the crown could have been so careless. Or maybe it was Luca being careless. You said that in Tannis, too. Silence, then Luca replied in slow, cold words, Are you never going to stop bringing that up? That was three years ago which was a fair point, and in the three years since then, the two of them had done many successful jobs, earned a lot of money together. Still, that one mess-up had cost them dearly, almost cost them everything. He looked back at Luca and shrugged. Luca moved forward, 
Fine, I'll do it if you're so scared. Move over. That earned him a snort from Barnum. You couldn't pick your nose. Luca made an attempt at an affronted expression, but Barnum paid up no mind. They both knew the truth of Luca's manual dexterity. With a soft sigh, Barnum turned back to the lock. Okay, here goes nothing. Leaning forward again, he pulled his picks out and set to work. He had to force his hands to hold steady when he first inserted the implements into the keyhole, but after a few seconds, his nervous tension faded beneath years of practice as he sank into the task. Feeling the location of the tumblers, probing out the actuators, and then slowly, carefully, the lock clicked and the window cracked open slightly. No alarm. No magical shove off the roof. No other nasty surprises. It really had been that easy. Letting out a sigh of relief, Barnum gave Luca an apologetic grin and got a wry, see I told you so, in reply. Couldn't blame him for that. Pushing the window the rest of the way open, thankfully it opened inward, Barnum slowly slipped inside. It was a dark night, and even darker still inside the attic. He could barely see his hand in front of his face, but he moved deeper inside anyway, clearing the way beneath the window for Luca's entrance. The floor felt like wood planks as opposed to the polished marble of the museum's public areas, but that was to be expected, he supposed, especially in an attic or storage space like this surely must be. No need to be fancy in spaces like this. No one who needed impressing would see it. It smelled musty like no one had been in here to clean in years, and it was cooler than outside, a testament to the building's stone structure and its ability to insulate. Barnum was just pressing another foot cautiously in front of himself when he heard Luca's voice making a low-pitched chant. Then all at once the room sprang into view like someone had lit a lamp. Barnum froze for a second, momentary fright that they had been caught, changing to chagrin over the fact that, despite how many times he had experienced this particular bit of enchantment, it still caught him unawares. He had no idea where Luca learned it, and he'd never met another enchanter who could do it but it did something to make light for them, and them alone. At first, Barnum thought sure Luca was telling tall tales when he described its effects. It must cast light in the entire room, and would be useless for their kinds of work. But then he watched as four other men in a dark room with him and Luca kept on running into walls and furniture after Luca cast the enchantment on the two of them, but left the other four out of it. And he was convinced. Quite a clever spell, this one. There, Luca said behind him. That's better. No lie there, and not just for being able to see again, also for the confirmation that they were exactly where Barnum had hoped the window would bring them. It was a storage room. It was filled with crates and shelves, filled with dusty wooden boxes, all of which had been labeled in plain block letters with a series of letters and numbers that Barnum supposed meant something to the museum keepers. The shelves made a passage of sorts from the window deeper into the room, and there toward the rear was a single door which was latched shut. The door had frosted glass in its upper half, and the same blocky text that was marked on the boxes was painted onto the glass on the opposite side from them. The text was backwards, from Barnum's perspective, but he could make it out clearly. Archives. Through that door would be a corridor made of wood planking that would take him and Luca past several other similarly marked archives doors until it reached a single, narrow stairway of stone that eventually would transition into one of polished marble that would intersect with one of the many halls in the museum proper that led between the various exhibits. The archives in the attic were not unique. Barnum had learned that during his research in the capital city's architectural publications registry a month before. 
The museum had no less than a dozen such spaces, set aside for items that were deemed no longer worthy of exhibit, or that were still being studied and had not had their suitability determined yet. But these attic archives were well laid out in the plans he had found, which were accessible by any citizen who had the desire to know. And how's that for a thumb in the eye toward the Crown security men, huh? Barnum had to restrain a cynical smile as he beheld the truth of his research's hypothesis. Then he advanced toward the marked door, Luca at his heels. Sure enough, the door opened into a narrow corridor, heading back toward the center of the museum. They passed several pairs of doors, also marked archives, before the corridor ended at a descending staircase. Barnum took a moment to look behind himself toward Luca and grin, which Luca returned in kind. Then he set off down the stairs toward the display galleries. It was like transitioning into another world, where above it was all wood paneling, most of it unstained, and hardwood floors. Here it was polished marble floors and fluted columns leading from gallery to gallery. Long, wide corridors where entire crowds could walk from one exhibit to another, all chattering away mindlessly as they passed by priceless pieces beyond number. Vaulted ceilings that could have housed a dozen families under the roofs, if only the families had been given leave to try. Barnum felt both awe and disgust at the opulence on display as he and Luca descended to the exhibition levels, both feelings tugging on his inyards with its own strength as he fought to determine which should triumph. In the end, Barnum decided on his own determination. Both were twisted, both evil in their own rights, but that was the world he lived in, the world he had to do his best to navigate. Only the discipline of years of research, struggle, and training kept him from being overwhelmed by the sheer opulent beauty of it all, the utterly unfightable extravagance of the crown's imperial power and how it had dominated man's consciousness for centuries. That is not enough, he found himself saying between clenched teeth. And indeed it wasn't, which is why he was here, he and Luca both. After all, without coin a man could not eat, and it all came down to that. But still, as he entered the exhibit hall, Barnum stopped at a marble balcony overlooking a sweeping gallery below, filled with trinkets from battles and sieges of years past, and he couldn't help feeling entranced by it all. Almost without realizing it, he placed his hands atop the stone mantelpiece and looked down, soaking it all in. The shield of the centurion who had guarded the crown prince from death during the siege of Atlantis, the bust of Ingraham, the philosopher king who had single-handedly convinced the Toltecs to place themselves under the yoke of imperial dominance through the force of his philosophical insight, Revelator, the sword of King Ranulf, which he had used to drive away the forces of darkness, and with which he had perished at the Battle of Normand Bay, in single combat with the conduit of the Dark Lord himself. The sword hung there in the gallery, suspended down by twin cables, that were attached to his crosspiece and illuminated by sconces on either side, which Barnum knew from experience illuminated the finely honed steel of its blade and the gold inlay of its crosspiece, as though it still glowed of its own light, which legend proclaimed it once had. The sconces were dark now, their coals extinguished by the museum keepers as they concluded their shift for the public at large, and Barnum knew their lack. For now, if legends were true, the sword would still glow of its own inner glory, shining forth with the light of truth and beauty that came from the divine. But Barnum could not see it. The enchantment that Luca had wrought brought its own light to his eyes, and he saw the entire exhibit hall without blemish and disregarding any other implement that might interfere with its illumination. 
So he only saw the sword hanging there, suspended by its crosspiece, like any other artifact that mattered not in the grand scheme of things. Barnum knew what he was looking at, wanted to feel the awe that he had always felt as youth upon hearing the ode to King Ranulf, the stirring in his loins that wanted him to rise and take up arms against the enemies of his people so he could finally be a man worth remembering. But he couldn't anymore. Those days were past him, and though he felt the same stirring in his soul when he looked upon the great sword revelator, it was only a fraction of the primal joy he had felt in his youth. Come on, Barnum, said Duga, and he felt a tugging on his arm as his partner pulled at him. And then the tugging was gone as he turned away from the hanging sword and followed Luca toward their objective for the night. It lay down a spiraling staircase into the right, in an anteroom that few tourists even entered anymore from what Barnum had seen during their scouting activities. But it was lavishly laid out, with multicolored tapestries lining the walls and multitudes of artifacts laid out under display cases all around the room. The relics of the city of Hitopa, which the Empire had conquered 500 years ago, before any of the great kings whose relics were displayed in the Great Hall, before the Empire really could be called such. Just one city-state vanquishing and conquering another in days of antiquity. And yet, their employer wanted one of those relics of yore, for whatever reason Barnum could not say, and wouldn't venture to ask. It wasn't his business, and it didn't matter. What mattered was that the relic in question laid in a glass-enclosed case in the front of Luca right this moment. The relic wasn't particularly beautiful. Oh, it had gems and was made of gold, but Barnum had seen multitudes more precious. That didn't matter either. Luca bent over, looking at the glass enclosure even as he chanted out the words of a different spell. Barnum didn't expect to see or feel the results of his enchantment. The sorts of detections Luca used only revealed things to himself. But still, he felt a bit of a chill when his partner rose from his crouch and turned to give him a smile. There was a splice on, but I lifted it. Should be clear now. There was no lock on the enclosure. It appeared the thing could just be lifted up by main strength alone. Barnum considered that if he had constructed the security device for such a thing, he certainly would have made something more robust. But before he could say that, Luca reached out, took hold of the enclosure, and lifted it. Barnum half expected a whining alarm from some enchantment that Luca had broken. But there was nothing. Just the soft scraping of glass across stone as Luca lifted the enclosure off, then the tap as he set the glass down on the floor. A moment later, Luca had the relic in his hands and he held it up, studying it. Doesn't really look like much, does it? No, Barnum agreed. He glanced around, then added, Just get it, and let's get out of here. Luca looked sidelong at him, then nodded. He took a moment to slip the relic into one of his belt pouches. Then he bent over, hefted the enclosure, and set it back into place where he had found it. Then the two of them turned and headed toward the exit. They had gone three steps when all at once, all light blinked out. Barnum cursed softly, then came to a quick halt, his stomach going to ice as he felt his heartbeat accelerate. Luca would not have messed around with his enchantment, not at a time in a place like this, which only left. Yellow-orange light flared from ahead, then from left and right, driving the irises of Barnum's eyes nearly completely shut. He stumbled backward a step, dazed, and felt the impact in his back as he ran into Luca. His partner let out the same curse that Barnum was beginning to voice even as he blinked up a storm. A moment later, some of his vision returned and he saw that they were surrounded by a dozen men holding torches. They wore the black and silver livery of the Crown's guards, and they were armed with swords and daggers, though none had weapons drawn. Directly in front of him was a man with the epaulets of a captain, about ten years older than the others. 
He stood proudly erect and looked at Barnum and Luca with open disdain. Did you really think you could steal from the crown so easily? said the captain. His voice was a smooth baritone and it bore neither respect nor contempt, just a businesslike curiosity as he addressed them. Barnum looked left and right and saw more of the captain's guardsmen, probably a dozen total, than he looked back at Luca. His partner had not yet fully recovered, but Luca had a look of defiance on his face. His eyes met Barnum's, and he lifted his left eyebrow. Blackout, Luca said, sotto voce, so only Barnum could hear it. Barnum wasn't so sure that was the right play, but when he looked forward, the captain spoke again. Obviously, you were mistaken, the captain said, as though whatever answer Barnum or Luca was going to give didn't matter. He waved the guardsman at his side forward, and the man stepped forward, reaching behind his belt to produce a pair of shackles. Off to the right, a second guardsman did the same. You are arrested in the name of the crown for burglary and theft, said the captain, to repeat the obvious, apparently. So, there was no way out except straight ahead, it seemed. Barnum didn't look back at Luca. He just said, on five, under his breath, in a tone he knew would reach Luca's ears, and his alone. He heard a grunt in response. That was five. The two guardsmen continued forward, and Barnum felt the tugging on his belt. Four. The guardsman in front of him pulled the shackles tight and said, hands where I can see them. Three. Barnum complied, raising his hands. He couldn't see, but he felt stirring in the air behind him that said that Luca was doing the same. Two. The guardsman let go of one side of his shackles and reached out to take Barnum's left hand. Barnum heard Luca beginning a chant. One. Barnum pivoted, drawing his left hand away from the guardsman, then drove a hook punch with his right into the guardsman's side. The man lost his breath with a loud oof. Then the lights went out again. All of them. Luca's enchantment extinguishing the illumination from the guardsmen's torches simultaneously. Pandemonium erupted. All around, men's voices raised in shouts. Barnum heard the captain exclaim, Get the lights back on, you fool! To what could only be the guardsmen's enchanter. Behind him, he heard Luca chanting again, more rapid and with greater zeal. Barnum had heard that before, when Luca had been engaged in duels with other enchanters. They needed to get out of there fast. Luca was skilled, but whoever the guardsman had with him would be as well, and he had the advantage of not being stressed with the prospect of being imprisoned for many years. Barnum searched forward, trusting in his recall of the many days he and Luca had spent casing the museum. From here it should be 25 paces ahead, then 15 paces to the left, then 40 paces ahead to the main gallery, he felt a tug on his back as the hook that Luca had slipped into his belt pulled the rope connecting them taut for a moment. Then the tension lifted as either Luca moved to follow him or the rope was cut. Hopefully the former. Barnum heard a curse in front of him to his right and jigged left. Then he continued his forward charge. Should it be time to turn, he ran into a wall and cursed, his nose feeling the impact like he had just been punched in the face. He reeled backward and almost fell but the cacophony of sounds and curses all around was all the enticement he needed to keep going, so instead he veered left, counting out his paces more carefully. Somewhere between 23 and 25, Barnum realized he could see, but it was only after he had begun running forward again that it registered. And it wasn't just that he had left the boundaries of Luca's darkness spell. There was actual light. A white-blue radiance glowed from up ahead, and Barnum found himself slowing as he neared it. Then he strode between a vaulted archway, flanked between two fluted stone pillars, and he came to a complete halt. 
revelator hung there before him, suspended in the center of the viewing gallery, and it was glowing. The blade shone with a blue-white light, illuminating the entire gallery in a glow that was at once eerie and warmly comforting. All of the relics of days past were perfectly visible, all the scrollwork of the archways, all of the engravings on the pillars and in the ceiling, but Barnum could not take his eyes from the sword itself. The blade was a miniature sun, glowing with a brilliance that should have been painful to look at, but was instead warming. He took it in, and again felt the stirring in his soul that he had felt as a boy. But now it was twisted, tainted with guilt over the path he had taken, the life he had chosen to live, instead of valor and truth, theft and deception. It was like his soul was being laid bare for judgment, but he could not look away. The light emanating from the sword entranced him so he needed to go to it to reach out and touch it, become one with it. He felt himself taking a step forward. And then the back of his belt tugged at him and he stumbled backward. He looked behind to see Luca gesturing frantically for him to follow as he ducked down a passageway to the side of the gallery. The rope between them completely paid out. Come on, Luca said. From the other direction, Barnum heard anew the shouts of the guardsmen, their voices raised in anger, their words promising vengeance. Barnum spared one last glance at the sword, glowing with the same righteous power that the stories of King Randolph had attributed to it. Then he turned and sprinted after his partner. The boat rocked beneath Barnum's feet. Three pairs of raggedly dressed rowers took to their oars, driving the vessel forward under the watchful eye of the bosun sitting at their rear and pounding out the beat on his drum, and of the captain manning the tiller at the rear of the launch. Behind the captain, to the east, the sun was coming up over the silhouettes of the city's buildings. The red-orange color of the sunrise usually was a comfort for Barnum, when he'd seen it before. But now it seemed almost like the sky was bleeding, rent by some great wound that he could only guess at. He stood in the bow of the boat, and he normally would be looking forward, toward the jutting headland across the bay, on the other side of which lay the ship he and Luca had commissioned to bring them across the Sea of Storms to Calliope, where their client waited to collect the relic they had acquired this night. But today he couldn't look forward, only back toward the museum and the blade hanging there on its cabled supports. He saw the brilliance of the sunrise, but only registered the blue-white light that Revelator had given off, and he wondered at the meaning of it, or if there was one at all. The boat rocked again and Luca popped up from below decks. He looked to the rear of the boat, then to the front, then sauntered up to where Barnum stood, wearing a satisfied grin. Well, that turned out all right, didn't it? Luca said gaily. Barnum nodded. It was difficult to argue with that. They had obtained their prize and gotten away cleanly. No one hurt or killed and no one in jail. Great results, all things considered. Still. Did you see it, Luca? he said, and was surprised to find his voice was still hushed like it was inappropriate to speak loudly about this particular subject. The sword was glowing. Luca looked sidelong at him, then nodded. And a good thing it was, too, or we probably wouldn't have gotten out of there. Don't know about you, but I lost track of my steps during all the ruckus. No way I could have found the exit without a light. Barnum felt Luca's eyes on him, and after a moment, he nodded agreement. Because it was true, the sword's light had been the thing that showed them the way to escape. But that wasn't the sword's purpose in glowing, was it? Or did it even have a purpose? Luca clapped him on the shoulder and grinned companionably. Don't overthink it. Come on below. Captain's got a cask of ale down there and I can use a drink. He grinned. You? 
Barnum nodded again, and Luca grinned more broadly. He went below, but Barnum didn't follow for a long moment. He just watched the sun creep upward over the city's buildings. And he wondered. What, thievery with conscience and a philosophical question? Get out of here. And yet I'm here, because that's what I do. So I, so I hope you liked that one. I enjoyed writing it. It's kind of a fun little tale in several different ways. And uh, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. As you know, we do these stories every week. Next week is story number 40. Shall I tell you what it is? Shall I tell you? Okay, fine. Uh, number 40 from Stories from the Great Challenge is called Cupid's Arrow. This is another fantasy story. It's more lighthearted than this one. Yeah, it's about Cupid, so it's got some romantic kind of things to it, but it's also got a little twist to it, so you'll like it. I did. And yeah, so come read it with me next week. That'll be great. In the meantime, as you who are always tuning into all of my episodes here know, I'm doing another great challenge this year of a story week. This year, we're calling it 52 Stories in 2023. I know that is a shocking. How could you have come up with that title like that, Kingswood? You're a genius. What can I say? The muse just took me. Anyway, we're as opposed to the last time. The last time we put all these stories from the year into a great big thick collection that I've showed you here a million times before. Okay, fine. I'll show it to you again. Here it is. Ooh, big thick collection, seven hundred some pages. It's awesome. But you know, it took a long time to put that one together and you know I'm feeling the need to do it a little more swiftly this time so this year we're doing it different we're doing a story we're doing a story week obviously but we're going to do five com five collections through the course of the year 10 stories per collection for the first four the last one will be 12 because we're going to kill the story going to kill the challenge just like we did before and I'm kickstarting them all because why not? So, the Kickstarter for the new uh, first volume of this new challenge is starting in a couple weeks. It is, wait for it, 52 Stories in 2023, Volume 1. The camp, I know. Shocker at the title. It's ready to go. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes. I got the the cover art here thing up for you now you can see it looks great go to kickstarter click on the thing to be notified when it starts and then when it's open you can support immediately because immediate support fast support is the best thing you can possibly do to create it like me because the faster it funds the, fa the more the algorithmic assistance goes and the more money i make and that's what this is all about is the money yeah yeah it's fun to write and it's fun to create and you know Yes, I'm an artiste who wants to only make it art for the art's sake. But yeah, want money. So, hey, <laughs> you like these stories? Pay the author who writes them. Come over to the Kickstarter. Sign up to follow it. In a couple of weeks when it starts, it's the start date, I believe, um, set for March 14th. I think that's the Tuesday. That's the day I'm planning to start it. And um, if we can get it funded in the first day, that'd be awesome. If not... It's less awesome, but as long as it funds quickly, that's cool. I will let everybody know once it's uh, started so everybody can support quickly. But if you have already clicked on the link 
and gone and signed up to, you know, be informed. As soon as it starts, you will get a notifications. You can support as quick as possible, and that is the best way to do it. So make sure you do that. In addition, go to michaelkingswood.com slash store. Buy all my books. And like, subscribe here and everywhere else, wherever it is you're listening, whether it's YouTube or podcast or Rumble or who knows. If there's a subscription you need to do and you haven't done it yet, make sure you do it. Man, make sure you hit like and go buy more books. And, you know, come back next weekend for Story Saturday. We'll do the next one that I've already told you about. In addition, don't forget Warship Wednesday. On Wednesday, we talk about uh, naval history, cool stuff. This week, we talked about uh, uh, sub submarine Medal of Honor winner next week. I haven't decided what we're doing next week. But we'll do something fun. So come back and check it out. And, of course, we'll be streaming periodically other times, too. But, you know, as, as the muse takes me. Well, hey, cool. Thanks for tuning in this one. I'll talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.